I'm Marlene Ike. Join me as I talk with Janice Person, Online Engagement Director for Monsanto, about the power of stories and a sense of humanness to engage consumers, bloggers, foodies, and parents alike. You're listening to the Story of Agriculture podcast. On the phone today is Janice Person of Monsanto. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh my gosh, I'm really excited about it. I I love podcasts. (laughs) And you travel so much. You're probably an avid podcast listener too, I would guess. Uh, Where have you been to lately? So I just came back like last week. I was in Phoenix and Yuma, Arizona. So Got to go out and see a dairy and a uh, feedlot in the Phoenix metro area and then went down to Yuma and saw them harvesting lettuces and celery and all kinds of vegetable crops. Um, Got to go through one of our spinach trials, so I got to see a lot of different varieties of spinach. Not everybody knows that there are 54 varieties that were in this one field trial. We think of spinach as what's in our salad or something. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my, my job gets me to lots of interesting places, and next week I'll be headed out to Austin, Texas for South by Southwest. So. Oh, awesome. I, oh, I, I would love to ride along for that trip. Um, so, <laughs> so speaking of your work and your job, uh, for anyone who follows you on social media, and by the way, you're at JP Loves Cotton on about every platform, correct? Is that mostly where people I, can I find think, you? I, I think I have it on every platform, okay. you know, at least the ones that most people are on. Sure. There may be an odd one. I didn't get it established. But yeah. Well, for anyone who follows you online, they would know that you travel quite a bit um, in a lot of different capacities in, in terms of visiting different parts of agriculture. Um, tell us tell us about your role and the work that you do with Monsanto. Yeah, my job with Monsanto is a, a pretty unique one. I've worked in agriculture my entire career, which is longer than I would like to admit. But um, <laughs> the last, <laughs> and I've done a lot of different communications jobs within the, the business. But um, probably, you know, about eight years ago, social media started twerking up a bit. And personally, I started getting online and getting really active. So about three and a half years ago, when the company started looking for people to engage in this dialogue with consumers, we started a a totally uh, new effort around here. We were talking to farmers, we were talking to shareholders, but we had missed the broader society. And I was lucky enough because I had a social profile that already fit that, having Mm, had those conversations mm -hmm. on a personal blog, that I was able to take a position there and really be one of the first people to try and move forward stakeholder outreach. So my job title is is a weird one, online engagement director. But really what that means is I'm trying to engage people from the online space and help them understand us. And more often than not, I, I don't run company uh, social media. We have incredible people here who do that. So if you want to praise it, there's there's great people uh, like Nick mm-hmm. Weber and stuff. Um, but what I do is I kind of talk to people who are in that online space and try to help them understand our business. And hopefully some of them will write about agriculture in their own channels. And a lot of that comes back to farmers that are in this space. Um, you know, some people might remember I was I was one of the people that helped lead to the forming of the AgChat Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last three and a half years or so, it's been really extensive amount of 
foodies who blog or parents who blog and lifestyle creation uh, folks and things. You know, maybe they have a YouTube channel, maybe they have an Instagram feed that's really popular. And so going out to the places where they are and introducing them to agriculture and to Monsanto specifically, um, it's an exciting kind of job. It's a unique one. Um, and I think Monsanto is one of the few companies that's ever thought, hey, we should invest in this. So it's kind of fun. Well, and for, like I said, anyone who follows you online, you can really get a sense of the variety then of segments of the industry that you're, you're touching and, and the variety of um, uh, consumers segments, I guess, that you're reaching. Like you said, it, it could be, uh, you know, use the word like foodies and parents and lifestyle uh, influencers who are doing those things online. And so uh, I'm always just amazed. I'll, I'll see like you've just, you were, you're going to South by Southwest and then you'll be at a very specific uh, blogging conference and you'll be at something else. And so really just getting a chance to um, engage and intersect with all of these different consumer groups is just really, really neat. What's been, what's been one of the most interesting um, kind of groups of people you've gotten to, to meet and engage with so far? Wow, one group that I've really... <laughs> or so, a few. So we I have think, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think what's been... Um, so so first off, social media personally had given me exposure to this incredible network of people in agriculture that I may not have known um, by being J.P. Loves Cotton mm-hmm. in a non-online environment, right? So, you know, I've, I've, I've really increased my network online in agriculture. But I would say for me personally... Um, being able to go out and talk to people who really care deeply about the food that they're eating, that they're buying, that they're serving their children, mm-hmm. um, and being able to have a conversation with them about how that food is produced has been, um, for me, a lot of times life-changing. And I think mm-hmm. some of them might say that it's been life-changing as well. I mean, I have some people who probably will never look at a bell pepper again because they went to a bell pepper farm with me about three years ago, right? And a lot of us don't think much about that because Uh maybe we've grown it in our backyard or something. But for people who've never been out on a farm and never had a, a chance to have that experience, you have a day in their life where you can open up a brand new world to them and, and kind of shine a little spotlight on this one little part of agriculture. And, um, and it, it's, it's, it's amazing that I get to be part of it. I mean, I truly do love that part of my job and getting to meet all those people where they live and where they mm-hmm. talk about their passions. And so many of their passions are things I'm really passionate about as well. You know, you find that common ground some people don't know who Monsanto is, and some people have heard things that I wouldn't agree with. Uh-huh. So sometimes I'm introducing people to the company, and sometimes I'm listening to things people have heard. Um, but it really is this this kind of combination of different groups, and a lot of times we call them tribes. Yeah. So I work yeah. with the agricultural tribe, and I work mm-hmm. with the food-minded tribe. Um, there are also other tribes that we get to talk to. I get to spend time with scientists or skeptics or pragmatic environmentalists, all those different tribes. Um, a lot of them are also done with my colleague, Vance Crow, um, and uh, Val Bays are both involved in this work. And so the three of us kind of hit the majority of consumers. Um, but like getting out of the cycle that we're in here in our offices or in agriculture 
and getting to go out and meet people in their space and bring them back and show them agriculture is like, wow, what a rush. Well, it, I mean, it has to be so rewarding. I mean, you use the phrase life-changing for you and perhaps them and just really rewarding being able to have have that conversation. So, th- I mean, this is such a unique role that you are playing that, I mean, even 10 years ago, who would have guessed that this might have been a f- kind of a full-time position uh, anywhere? Um, how, how did you arrive at this? What's been your career path um, up until now? Did you study communications, marketing, um, anything in agriculture as, as a student? And I mean, how did you arrive at this place in your career? Wow, we're going to go back to student days, right? So, so I'm trained. I'm trained in journalism and okay. mass communication. Uh-huh. I have a, a bachelor's degree from an unheard of school called Phillips University that was in Enid, Oklahoma, a small liberal arts school, uh-huh. and a master's degree in journalism from the University of Memphis. Um, my family is is really city oriented. I'm mm-hmm. fourth generation city girl, proud. And um, but a friend of our family had an ag magazine, and it it kind of started from there. And the first farmer I visited was so incredibly nice. Mr. Ray had me in for a day and fed me tomato soup and a grilled cheese, and I was just <laughs> hooked. And then after working for the magazines for a little while, I went up and worked for an agency in New York. After I got out of grad school, um, after a while, I went down to Delta and Pineland Company and mm-hmm. and worked on cotton there. So it had been a cotton magazine. It was an agency that worked with cotton. Mm -hmm. Then I went to a cotton seed company. Um, So I got to do the publishing side, the agency side, and the client side all. Um, And then ultimately that company was purchased by Monsanto. Um, So my job has been mainly PR-based kind Mm -hmm. of things. So I've written a lot of PR press releases, held a lot of media events, things along that line. Um, Always trying to keep my skills up to date. So when the company started asking for a few volunteers that might be willing to try out the social media thing and see if there was value for businesses, I I, I had a 20-year-old help me figure out what Twitter was and what it was like. <laughs> and that was way before Ashton Kutcher had his big revelation <laughs> of having a million followers. And now you have people with, you know, so many more. Um, but really kind of keeping my skills on point really helped me kind of mm-hmm. move into different jobs and um, have always been a big networker. So I love to meet new people and I love to find what mo- motivates them and moves their heart. And so all those things have kind of come together in my career path. Mm-hmm. Um, at my at my heart, I would tell you I'm a photographer and a storyteller. And I've just found different ways to get paid for taking good pictures and finding people who have awesome stories and shining a light on it. So today that's at Monsanto doing it for people that are in this online space and influential about food. Um, In the past, it was finding cotton breeders who've come up with a new product that was amazing Mm -hmm. and telling their stories for farmers to pick the latest cotton variety. So I like storytelling and photos. Well, we like that here at Herdmark too. So I feel like we're kindred spirits. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I don't want to jump around too much, but something now that's just really resonated with me that, you know, that you mentioned that, um, you know, you just sort of jumped at the opportunity to engage in social media when it became available. Um, and when you were describing your role initially, as we got started in the conversation, you know, you were already doing this yourself, um, as, as just an individual. And so when it came time 
for the the company to look at somebody who might kind of serve as a as a person out in the forefront on behalf of them, you were a natural pick because you were already doing that. And the reason that really resonated with me is that twice in the last 30 days, I've spoken to student groups um, who uh, a lot of ag communication or ag education students. And a lot of times students just say, well, how do I get started if I don't like you look, if you're interested in photos, just start taking photos. And, and there's so many opportunities to post things. And if you're interested in writing, just start writing and putting those things out there. And, and hearing right. you say this as well, it's just, uh, is a great reminder yeah. for students as well, that it's not like the company posted a position. And then you said, oh, I think I'll do, I could do that. And then started learning. You were already doing right. that. There's, and so when the opportunity came, yeah. Direct path. yeah, yeah. When the opportunity came, you and, were just the natural, natural person <clears throat> to do that. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that, um, you know, I never really realized early on and, and yet it's really worked for me is I was kind of creating a bit of a brand mm -hmm. and I was kind of creating a footprint that would show up. Right. So right. I do remember at one point my name, you know, you said Janice person. I remember looking it up on Google because in some meeting everybody was told to Google your name and see what's out there about you. Well, I was like any Janice person you may have ever met. Like the thing did not. <laughs> right. So, you yeah. know, I decided, I decided I wanted to own my own name, right? Like, cause any Janice person could do, right? Yeah. And so, um, so I made my website, my name, JanicePerson.com, right? So then every time I wrote, it would do something. But at first my website was a free website. It was on WordPress. Mm -hmm. I was putting out what I feel like doing and I did it with a mindset of, I always want to keep my options open for work. So I don't want to take anything too controversial too far. You know, I can have mm -hmm. an opinion on controversial topics, but that's not the kind of career path I'm trying to accomplish. Um, so I don't want my personal passions to get in the way of my career path sure. either. Um, but things like Instagram and, and things that you can, you can really create a portfolio for yourself. So if you're not getting published somewhere, you can do a free website. <laughs> oh, right. And you yeah. can make yourself a portfolio in a way that, you know, shows people what you want to show about yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very different than, you know, so, sort of when I used to have to do the, the resume and you had sure. to do a certain format. And if you didn't do it in this typeface, people had trouble. It's, sure. You know, now well, you can go out on yeah. LinkedIn and connect where you want and those kind of things. Well, and they're just they're the the gatekeeping has essentially been removed in terms of publishing and posting your own, co own content online and, and doing that. And some, I just, that's always something I, I kind of hit home for students who always ask that question for sure. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask is uh, how much of your personal brand is really attached to your handle? Because I have to admit that for a long time, I don't think I even knew your name. I just knew you as JP Loves Cotton because that's always how I had just sort of engaged with the the stuff that you were posting online. So how, how much of that handle has really become your personal brand versus your actual first and last name? <laughs> So it's funny, um, my friend, my friends, Andy and Eric, when I was a high school girl, called me JP because there was more than one Janice in our mm. class, right? Yeah. So they called me JP back then. And, and I really, I always signed my emails that way and whatever, you know, letters. I've always signed with my initials. And in college, I designed myself a personal logo, right? So JP is something I've carried with me a long time. 
nobody had ever called me that since high school, though. And so I decided that this is now my Twitter handle. And then from there, it it only took like a year or two. I love cotton. I really do. (laughs) And it's a unique spot in the online space. So I was trying to connect with people in agriculture, and I didn't want to pretend to know stuff I didn't. Sure. But you know what? You want to talk about cotton? I can get pretty deep. Like I can go into pretty much detail if you really want to, because I've worked in it so long from so many perspectives and, yeah. and with so many experts. So at this point in my life, um, my family, my personal friends and stuff, they all call me Janice. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have this crowd of people that I've met through social media, and a lot of them call me JP and And actually, one of my colleagues here at work the other day who I knew a long time on Twitter before she came here, she kept calling JP in in a meeting. (laughs) And somebody finally said, well, I always called her Janice. What what do you prefer to be called? And I went, my name is Janice. And and Cammie had to explain, yeah, but I know her from Twitter a long time, and it's JP (laughs) with Cotton. So, you know, and and it all works for me. Like, it's all the same thing. And it all gets back to who I am, right? right? So, you know. It's it's good whether the the name is Janice Person or JP Loves Cotton, it's all still me and it's really consistent. So, you know the the person I put forward on social media, if people see that and then they meet me, they don't have to wonder. Wait a minute, is that Janice or is that JP Loves Cotton? Because I'm all the same, same person. person. Like I don't I don't have to hold back huge parts of myself. So mm-hmm. the Twitter account is me personally. I do talk a lot about work. I, I use the hashtag I love my job sometimes when I'm talking about work or something. Um, but I also will talk about, you know, like, I mean, I, I shared a picture of a friend's little girl saying my name. She's really young and saying my name is hard. And I love that she's working so hard on getting the Janice. It's a hard sound for little kids to do. Yeah. But that'll, that stuff will be right there alongside with people harvesting head lettuce in Yuma, Arizona. Well, Just who I am. And, and that leads right into um, some of the strategies maybe that you use. I mean, some maybe are intentional and some are just an extension of, you know, who you are. So um, in terms of connecting with people online, you know, in agriculture, we work really hard to connect with our consumers. And in fact, uh, I loved a conversation I had with Hannah Thompson-Weeman of the Animal Ag Alliance um, earlier this year where we talked about switching from using the language of educating consumers to to talking about engaging consumers because there's a different philosophy or perspective there. And mm-hmm. um, if we want to engage with our consumers and with the public who, who um, does want to know more about their food and agriculture, that we can connect with people on things that don't have anything to do with food or farming, but we can really make a connection with people on those similar interests. So the fact that, especially, you know, on all of your um, social channels, you have a video of your friend's daughter next to, you know, some spinach. (laughs) And there's a lot of personality and life to that. And is that an intentional thing that you do? Or is that just an extension of your kind of personal style of the things that you share? Um, A little bit of both. How's that? Okay. So early on in social media, I was of the mindset you're supposed to have different channels for different interests. Okay. So if you go out there on social media, you can still find somebody that says JP loves travel. Okay. Um, because I used to talk about travel a lot. Um, I still talk about travel a lot. I just do it on the JP loves cotton. Okay. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And so I, you know, at one time I was trying to keep them separate because I was doing this Twitter chat or that Twitter chat. Well, then I wanted to do blog chat. And well, which one was it? Right. Like I had two blogs and and stuff. And at a certain point, I I decided strategically I am who I am. Put all of me in one place and cancel out having two different places where you're trying to share bits and pieces of yourself. I think. Um, strategically, it made a lot of sense for me because I was trying to keep two different audiences, and yet they were all just friends of mine. And some of my friends really are interested in both things, sure. you know, and 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 all that. And quite frankly, you know, most of my family and friends who aren't in agriculture don't want to hear about cotton all the time. I know it's embarrassing for me to have to admit that, but um, you know, but but they do love to hear when I've had like the best tacos in right. Phoenix. Like, yeah, you know, they. I mean, my family, we love tacos. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, so all those things going into one place, it really shows the complete me. And if you look in the online space, I think a lot of us get criticized for being, quote, big ag by people who don't know people in agriculture. And that's because we always come at them with this agricultural agenda only, and they don't see the rest of who we are. So you don't become human. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to humanize yourself, one way to do it is to show a little bit more of your humanness yeah, <laughs> and, and show some of the things that really make you excited, right? So, I mean, early on, I was really lucky I picked a positive sounding name. I mean, it, I really just wandered into it. I didn't know. It's still too long, um, but it's a good brand for me. Um, so I've kept it. But reality is, is by having a brand that allows me to share a lot of other stuff in it now, I'm a really good advocate for agriculture and people feel like they get to know me. So then if somebody comes at us and starts criticizing, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of people who didn't know, like JP loves cotton. I can still remember a girl that I've known online forever And she was a blogger, and one month she was doing a birthday series of posts where for her birthday she was going to write a blog post every day, and it was based on what people in her community wanted her to write about. And I said, oh, my God, I want to to help with this. This is great. I want you to go out to a farm for a day, and I want to – I want to meet, I want to introduce you to farmers in your area. I know some farmers in your state. This will be awesome. And she immediately replied, great. Ever since I've watched Food Inc., I wanted to talk to people about that bad Monsanto. Mm-hmm. And I had to go, whoa, mm-hmm. um, wait. So, like, if you look at my bio, I, I work for Monsanto. Yeah. So I would be the bad Monsanto. So help me understand. And we had this incredible conversation, right? But she didn't come to me and be friends with me because I am Monsanto. Right. We connected over things that we both cared about on Twitter, and she had totally missed it. I mean, it was there. It was in the open. I wasn't ever hiding it. But what she noticed out of what I talked about were things that she was really interested in. She knew I really cared about farmers. And so when she threw that out, she assumed that anybody who cared about farmers would think this way. And it was Mm -hmm. an opportunity to say, well, you know, it's a little different. And, And it helped her start a learning journey of her own. So instead of me trying to educate her, I was able to introduce her to a few people. She was able to take an opportunity to to learn other viewpoints, see other viewpoints, reconsider whether she had only heard one side. A lot of people have never come to the realization they've only heard one side of the story. So a lot of times I'm the person who shows up 
with a name tag on and they say, you work for who? Like the Monsanto? And I say, yeah, well, you know, a lot of times I come to these things and people may have heard about us, but they've never met anybody from our company. So I'm one of the people that gets to go out and meet people. And it's amazing what kinds of conversations can start by something as simple as that or say, you know, so I, I'm not sure where I was supposed to be going with this, but um, <laughs> no, but, that was great. But it is kind of a it is kind of a real power of conversation and dialogue to be able to to make those true connections to kind of find what other people are interested in, and it's you know it's it's easy to do when you sit down in a room with people. Because mm-hmm. you usually are like talking about the weather, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, you think about it. If you go into a doctor's office today, you're going to sit there in a waiting room. Are you going to talk to other people or are you going to read? Well, you know, different people do different things. Same thing if you get on an airplane. Mm-hmm. What are you going to talk about with at the person next to you? Or are you just going to put on your noise-canceling headphones? Different people are going to do different things. But the first thing out of their mouth is not usually something about big agriculture right. or modern agriculture. And so for us to be able to help shape what they think of and help them understand there's a different perspective than they may have heard, or they may have never heard a perspective on it at all that they remember. And being able to be open to that conversation instead of going in with an agenda to say, here's what I'm here to accomplish with you. Because if you think about it, the only time I sign up to be educated by people, I've paid a lot of money for being in the room. Mm-hmm. And even then, I learn more when somebody helps me learn than when they're trying to educate me. It, you know, when somebody's trying to educate me, it feels forced upon me. And when somebody's trying to engage me or help me learn, it's a two-way street, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I've got a lot of power in this, too. Yeah, what you can't see is I've been like nodding my head through like most of this. Sometimes I wish that we (laughs) that we uh, did uh, a video, a version, you know, of our podcast recordings, because then you could see me reacting to all of this. Um, Yeah, this would be very different on Skype or where I could see your head. So, you know, in in terms of it on an individual level, some people might, you know, be listening to this and hear, okay, like I get how as an individual person, I could share more about my life and interact with people, but how could my company do that? Or how could my brand do that? How do, how do you think brands and businesses in agriculture can share some of that humanness with folks outside? And I hate saying outside agriculture as if we're an exclusive no, club, no, it's, but it's, it's greater, greater yeah. society, yep. right? Yeah. Um, all the people who are connected to agriculture in different ways than we are, right? Mm-hmm. Who don't necessarily work in it, but are right. connected in different ways. I think for for us, um, what we found is the company has a role that's really important. You know, a logo on the side of the building is very different than a collection of employees, you know, and and as a company, we highlight the stories about the people who work here. So if you look at discover.monsanto.com, that's the website where we started uh, telling the Monsanto story. Mm-hmm. And it's been it's been really well received. People can ask us any question and we'll answer. Like, you know, if people have questions about us, thank you. Please bring them to us. Here's a website where we take all those and we keep them. And you can go through and see what other questions people have about us. Um, But we've also encouraged our employees to have that ability to speak up and and kind of do this stuff on their own. I think a lot of companies 
you get worried about it. I mean, when I started my blog and stuff, at least I was trained in journalism and communications, sure. right? Yeah. So I kind of, I kind of thought I knew some of the like guideposts and the mm-hmm. rails. Right. Or, right. You know, like, well, if I wrote about this topic, it'd probably get a lawyer at the company sure. to ask me more questions. Like, what were you thinking? And and it wouldn't be that I'd be trying to get anybody uh, upset or anything. I just, you know, if I have a personal opinion on something, some things I just, oh, okay, you know, I wouldn't put that on my blog. Um, but I think, so for me, I understood that. For a lot of our employees, they don't know those guide rails and those and those things, and they don't want to cause any trouble for the company. Mm-hmm. So at first, they weren't talking much about the company because they didn't want to accidentally get in the wrong place. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? And so for us as a company to take time to help our employees understand, you know what, we would love for you to have more conversations if that's something you're interested in doing. Here are a couple of things to remember don't talk about legal issues. That's something that you probably ought to keep off the table. If you're engaged in confidential business sensitive information, don't share that. Here's, you know, right. here are a few things. Remember, as a company, we want to treat people with respect. So that's a baseline of things. So maybe don't rant at people, right? Sure. So, you know, think about those things. And then, you know what? It's up to you how you engage. Right. It's a very individualized thing. For some people, they don't want to share as much of their personal life as I'm still free to do. For others, they want to share even more, right? Mm-hmm. So right, right. you kind of, kind of look at it as a continuum. But I think early on for us to let employees know this is an important topic for us as a business. We as a company are investing in it, and we understand some employees would like to invest their personal time in this. This is not part of everybody's job. There are people who are paid to do this as part of their job. But for people who are interested in including this in your personal footprint, we would love for you to do that. And we have, you know, we have some different emails that go out. We have different topics that we get to talk about with employees to help them if they get tough questions, you know, they have some resources on our, you know, sort of intranet and things along that line. So my next question is a little bit of an extension of that, but it's maybe, it's maybe kind of two, two parts a little bit. I'm really interested in knowing how you use the power of story in the way that you share parts of your life or on behalf of the company and those things and the way that you engage with consumers and bloggers. But the, the kind of second part of that is, um, you know, you are sort of, you may sometimes be the target of some, you know, negative feelings from people, you know, like your, your one friend on Twitter who thought, oh, uh, well, <laughs> you're in that camp now. I didn't realize that. Um, or sometimes the company is really targeted from some, with some really negative comments. How do you respond to those and how does the role of story fit into the way that you handle those situations as well? Ooh, that's a lot of that's a lot of questions. That's a, that's a lot of it's a lot of things in one thing. I th- I think in agriculture yeah. no, we it. yeah I think in agriculture we don't we often get scared about sometimes you know sharing some things because we don't know how pe- others will react and we won't know how to deal with any negative feedback or we won't know how to deal with that and so then we just don't share anything and maybe miss out on opportunities rather than maybe have thought through how we might deal with negative 
feedback. Maybe negative isn't the I'm, right word. I'm, absolute, yeah. I'm absolutely with you. Yeah. I, and actually, a couple of years ago, I spoke at South by Southwest talking about what you do when critics show up. So let me talk about the power of story first, though, because I think that will help people understand where some of these critics have yeah. come from. Um, so if you think about it, a lot of us in our companies have a very data-driven business. Certainly Monsanto is very focused on the science that we're doing as a company. There is a prescribed process that's the scientific method that we go through to develop our products, and we have reams and reams and reams of data. Mm-hmm. I guess in today's world, it would be lots of hard drives worth of data right. on each product that we develop. And so those were the things we were talking to farmers about, and those were the things we were talking to shareholders about. And remember, we had that whole other area of the rest of America we weren't really talking to. Mm -hmm. So they were hearing this data, data, numbers, all this stuff that doesn't make sense to a lot of us. And they were doing things like going to the movies (laughs) and watching TV right, and reading really beautiful magazines. And in those kind of venues, they were hearing these incredible bucolic stories about agriculture, about how natural agriculture can be and how these farmers care so much about the environment and how they're doing things this extra special way, the way their grandparents did and and things along that line. And so there were people who were using stories to tell stories about agriculture. And in most parts, they weren't people within agriculture. Mm -hmm. They were other people telling Mm -hmm. the stories. So part of what we've been doing here is making sure we know our own stories and we can tell them. So if people want to talk to me about a GMO, a lot of times I'll tell them about a GMO that very well could help us reforest the eastern U.S. We could have hardwoods returning to the Appalachians, which for my family is really important. Mm -hmm. My family lives in Tennessee and North Carolina, and we love going up in the mountains, and we love having those deep, dense shade trees because it's hot as crazy hell in the south, right? Yeah, yeah. So the fact that, like, the State University of New York and some people have figured out how to save the American chestnut tree— but from a blight that the only way to fix it is a GMO because we tried everything else, right? right? So that's the kind of GMO other people have never heard. And if you can tell them a story, it then helps them ask you questions that trigger critical thinking. One, how come I've never heard about GMOs that do things like reforest that really improve the environment we're in. Why haven't I heard about that before? Well, let's talk about who else you've heard about GMOs from. Sure. Have you talked to farmers that know that because they're using this GMO, they know that their soil health has gotten better because they're doing something called conservation tillage, right? So let's look at who you're hearing stories from and who may be experts that you haven't heard from. And let's get those stories together, right? So if you think about it, storytelling along that line fits the kind of dynamic that in many ways grabs people's hearts. We, you know, we miss that. And that's why in a lot of these places we're talking about women who are interested in the food they're putting on their plates for their children. They appreciate that there's a story behind it, too, and that makes them feel good. I know personally when I eat almonds from my friend Brent's farm, I love that I'm eating almonds from Brent. Yeah, yeah. 
right? Like it gives me a different kind of vibe. Or if I'm eating a steak that my friends April and Tim brought over, that's a very different thing than one I just picked up in the grocery store, right? So there is kind of this connection to it. So for people in agriculture to do more of that storytelling is really important. And we've been spending a lot of time trying to break down, here's how that works. Here are the things that you need to look for. It has to be personal to you because for other people to talk about the chestnut tree and how important it is to reforest the eastern U.S., that may not be authentic. But you know what? Maybe for you, talking about a GMO that helps you in a drought situation is highly authentic. Maybe it's talking about the insects that are eating away at your sweet corn and that upset the heck out of you when you pull back the husk, right? So let's look at our stories. And by having other people do all those stories before we were, we were really letting people create these negative perceptions. Because what was happening in each of those stories, there's always a hero and a villain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they were making the heroes one small subset of agriculture and somehow villainizing other parts of agriculture. And what we're trying to do is we don't need a villain. In agriculture, right. we're all heroes. I mean, seriously, the farmers I've met are all heroes, and they're all doing their own thing, right? Yeah. Like, no two farmers seem to farm the same. You know, anybody across the fence row is going to do it differently. Now, then what happens is, is those people started getting these negative impressions of us in agriculture, and they started asking questions, and we weren't there in the conversation, and the perceptions started grabbing hold. And some of them have become memes that have spread everywhere. And now we have to deal with those. And so one of the memes that, you know, people can ask are the things that feel like to us, they're insulting us. They're questioning our integrity. They're suggesting we would do something that wouldn't be beneficial for the earth, that we would do something that would let us jeopardize the future for our children. So it's hard to react to those things calmly and nicely when we're just as concerned about the environment and the future for our children as the people asking the questions. But the people asking the questions, there's a combination of people that do that. So some are people who are honestly asking the question. Sure. They don't know anything else. And then there are people who are trolls who are asking the questions to getting you into a big fight and right. to continue right. you in this downward spiral. So the first thing is, is you have to figure out where that person lies. And a great way to do that is to ask them questions and say, can you tell me more about that? Where did you hear that? I'm not familiar with that. Can you tell me more? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you really try to understand somebody's, uh, what they're upset about, what they have negative feelings about, if you try and understand that and they don't want to listen to you, that's very different than somebody who's going, well, I'm not sure where I heard it, but I've only heard that. And then at a certain point, you can say, well, I have a really different viewpoint. Can I tell you a little bit about what I know from the farms I've been on? Or here's what I know about my farm. My family does it this way. Can I tell you about that? Almost every time, if you've shown interest in understanding why they're upset or why they have this perception, and you've really been interested in them, they have a similar interest in you. And they will want you to tell them that story. And those are the people who I, we call them as part of the movable middle, 
people who have not necessarily heard our perspective before, but now suddenly have an opportunity to go, wait a minute. Huh. That's interesting. I've never heard that. And they're the people who then start going online and you say, you know what, when you go on Google, if you search for this pesticide causes cancer, you're going to get a different answer than look at scientific review of this pesticide (laughs) health issues. And and it's because they've only seen what shows up in their Facebook feed automatically, and they've never seen another perspective. So they don't know that we think that this may be one of the safest pesticides we've ever been encountered, that we all personally feel very comfortable using this around our family. And you know what? Actually, we prioritize some of these GMO foods for our kids and our families. And the reason why is we feel this environmental side is so great. We think the human safety element is so much different. And people just look at you like mind is blown. You know, you can see them do with their hands that little explosion, (laughs) mind blown. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you mentioned that a lot of folks get their their news from their news feed. And uh, with so many different... Oh, niches and and just really specialized, customized news sources. Um, you don't have to expose yourself to people who aren't like you. You know, in in uh, American culture, you can you can surround yourself who pe- with people who uh, reinforce the philosophies and values that you have. Um, and I think folks in agriculture are also guilty of that on an individual level too. You know, we like to surround ourselves with people who continue to, to you know, praise the work that we're doing and reinforce the good things and join us on the things we might, you know, oppose. And so we sometimes limit ourselves in understating other people's viewpoints. Um, and that's probably also part of the challenge then in, 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 engaging with consumers who um, haven't received information from maybe more than one source about about their food. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's spot on. And, and we certainly have seen that kind of divide with the election and stuff this past year, where a lot of people were really surprised that people felt the opposite on yeah. things, right? And I think um, for us in agriculture, this idea of fake news and and not having a well-rounded, I think a lot more of us kind of understood that, <clears throat> but a lot of Americans have just been kind of made aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, for for me personally, I've never had that ability to have that distance because I have family <laughs> that's on all yeah all parts of the spectrums on lots of things. Um, but I do think that that's been one of the things that opened up in social media is is that you could suddenly find people just like you. And that's what I did first when I got on. I found other people who were really passionate about agriculture. And we talked about all these ag things, right? And after a while, it seemed like the only people I was talking to was agriculture. And so to to make a meaningful choice to find other people that I share other passions with, you know, you have to go about doing it in a meaningful way because otherwise the social media is going to keep you where you've gone. Right. You know, they're going right. to they're gonna feed you more of the right. same thing because they know you like that. So unless you take a, a personal stance, and quite frankly, you know, making yourself open to different opinions is not always really easy for some of us who are highly opinionated. And, <laughs> and, and I'm a redhead. Like, I, I have a temper. <laughs> um, but to make yourself open to different perspectives 
yeah. you know, if, if you're not going to yeah, be it has to be a two way street on a topic, then then don't bother trying to go out and engage consumers because you yeah. have to be willing to listen to them if you want them to listen. To, why? Who have you ever wanted to really spend time listening to that didn't <laughs> right. listen to you? Too, right. Right. Like it's not it, it's got to be mutual. Uh, so I would love to know if you have any particular, I'm going to use the term success stories, but I'm going to use that term very loosely. Um, but any success stories, um, that have just been particularly rewarding to you or, or life changing to you. Um, but any stories of, you know, either someone, a blogger or, or a YouTuber or, or just a really great experience you've had as a result of engaging with that person and, and, and for both of you to learn something from one another in a way that really changed your perspective or changed theirs? You know, probably I'll go to one of the very first ones in this mm -hmm. space because that's easy because there have been lots of them. But one of the first ones was uh, a blogger that uh, – that got called something like the foul mouth food blogger from Chicago. Okay. Um, and she, she went to an event and, and um, she had some backyard chickens and she was producing most of her own food from her backyard gardens yeah. and, and, and backyard chickens. And, um, and she was paired with somebody who had like a million birds and like the divide was so massive that it really was hard to find common ground. And, yeah. um, it was a it was a bad outing for some people. Yeah. Um, luckily, some farmers and some other people started sort of reaching out to her and trying to understand her. And then at a certain point, she came to Monsanto, and which I mean, tell you, somebody really has incredible growth potential when they've been afraid of something and willing to go look mm -hmm. at it. Right. So. Yeah. Me having to sit there and look at how afraid she was to do this and how she's challenging herself, you know, it's it's like somebody who's really afraid of heights deciding they're going to go jump out of a plane. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and for people in agriculture, we we don't necessarily understand somebody feeling that way about Monsanto, but that's exactly what it is for some people who've been really on a different perspective. Um to have a chance to bring her into Monsanto and have this open dialogue and talk to her. And then like for months, I mean, and it took months talking back and forth on email and answering her questions about what else is happening. And I just heard this from this person and, and she said they're agent orange crops. What's that about? And, you know, kind of helping her deconstruct what happened. Sure. And then coming out to where, I mean, she's now such a dear friend. We traveled to Europe together at Thanksgiving. Oh. So, um, so you know, you talk about coming full circle. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an amazing difference, and it's an amazing difference for her and for me, right? Because yeah. she really helped me understand how deep this web of misinformation has gotten for some people. Sure. And helped me understand how much energy it takes to kind of pull back all those layers. We say it's like an onion. You know, you pull one layer back and you got more layers to go. It's going to take you a long time sure. before you get to the center. And um, and having somebody willing to share that as openly was pretty amazing for me personally. Um, but then it's personally also rewarding because now we're traveling around Europe. But yeah. she also yeah. is willing to discuss Monsanto in a different light than she was, right? So sure. she's willing to 
talk to her friends about things like a co-op and making sure, well, we can't just say no GMOs in a co-op because you don't know what all GMOs they're going to be. Like, right. you can say you don't want to use Roundup and Roundup Ready crops, but let's not, like, go radical. And so um, so that's probably, like, one of the biggest. And, and a decent number of people in agriculture have uh, have heard the lore um, about that. But um, yeah. some others have been, you know, maybe not as much a, a moment of lore in agriculture, but you know, it's amazing where you can find these these stories and you find out that when you stand up for what's right and you do it in a way where you're open to criticism and you're open to conversation. You know, I had I had an, a thing where I was at a conference and, and had some pretty heated things said about us. And when I stood up and said, hi, I'm, I'm Janice and I'm with Monsanto and, and here's what we're doing here. I, I'm not sure where the other ideas came from, but I personally am one of the people doing these things and here's what I'm doing. And then I had lots of people, you know, coming up, even people from like Sony Pictures and stuff, right, asking me, that was that was amazing. So um, there's lots of opportunities like that, but you have to make yourself able to be uncomfortable because your heart races, you have to check your pulse, you have right, to take right. some deep breaths and ask more questions about other people than like go on a tear where you're just saying, no, this is the way it is. Sure. Because so, until you let yourself feel a little uncomfortable, you're not going to get past it. So I was just thinking about, you know, how um, there was such enthusiasm for when your friend who had all these questions and whatnot was willing to come to Monsanto to really learn about that and whatnot. What, what opportunities are there for folks in agriculture or farmers specifically? I mean, what opportunities do you believe are out there where there's someone who is just waiting and wanting a farmer to come to engage in that community oh in this, you know, in the same way that perhaps you at Monsanto are like, Oh, this is awesome. This, this blogger is coming to us. We've been waiting. This is great. On the flip side of that, what are, what are the opportunities that we as in agriculture, as ag communicators, as farmers and that kind of food and farm community that we need to go, like you said, be uncomfortable, but someone is waiting for a farmer or someone in agriculture to show up. What can we do? That's awesome. So, so I think there's, um, last week while I was in Phoenix, actually, we were doing a blogger meetup and, um, taking people out to the farm. And one of the bloggers was really dear friends with the dairy farmer's uh-huh. uh, daughter. Cool. So she was invited because she's an influential blogger and she's yeah. really good friends with the daughter. And she's like, Oh yeah, I've been out to the dairy before. But then when you go out and you're specifically trying to help people learn about the dairy farm, that's very different than when you go out to yeah. the farm and you're visiting to your hang friends. Out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. So I think for a lot of us, part of the deal is just saying, okay, wait a minute. Let's like look at our immediate community. Mm-hmm. Who here would be interested in learning about agriculture? Who might be interested in hearing what we do? Who might have a perspective on food that I could learn from? And so so part of that is just starting in your immediate community because every community has people like that that are really interested in food or that are really interested in science or maybe they're really interested in the technology that you use on your farm, like drones and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're on college campus, find out where all the engineering students live 
and they're working on drones and stuff and go, dude, you got to see the way we use drones on my farm. Yeah. <laughs> or if you have a robotic milker, go to those people that are doing engineering and say, you know what, we have this robotic milker. I'd love to take, you know, like if some of you guys would like to see how cows get automatically people would go get out there's robots in the barn i gotta see that <laughs> right right you immediately create this atmosphere of i want to see that and that's a lot of what you're able to do with consumers you just open up you know that the dialogue and stuff if you could do it with people in your local area great because they're like in the city or town nearby well and I, so, and I love that idea I mean because I, I think especially if we live in a rural area which is a lot of which is where a lot of production agriculture happens you know if we live in a rural area we might assume that our neighbors just because they also live in a rural area understand what we do or about agriculture and that's not the case or they may understand a certain segment, but not another. I mean, you know, cotton is so near and dear to your heart. I'll share just a really quick story. We were traveling near Houston um, uh, last year in the springtime for a video shoot. And near right where we were shooting, there's this field with tiny little green sprouts. You know, and I'm a Midwestern girl and I grew up on a farm and my dad's a farmer, you know, corn, soybeans and wheat because I, I live in the Midwest. And yeah. um, I couldn't for the life of me figure out what was growing in this field and so yeah. finally you know I had and it was cotton of course you know I mean just I little say, baby it's cotton amazing how many people how many people in the south will just send me a picture of a field in the south and go is this cotton or yeah. Is this else? <laughs> yeah and I I hadn't ever seen cotton at that stage but it was a really good reminder for me that I have grown up in agriculture my parents and all both my grandparents I mean I come from you know lines of people who made their living being farmers and my yep. entire career has always been connected to agriculture. And yet I didn't know that was cotton. And so if I didn't know that was cotton, how can I expect the people who go to church with me in our suburban area church to know the difference between a hay bale and a straw bale that they need for the nativity scene, you know, or something. <laughs> and so, you know, when they've never bailed straw or hay, us, you know, it, yeah. It makes those of us really excited about hay or <laughs> right, straw right like go so, but that's not even what you want right <laughs> that's right that's right 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 so you know I think sometimes if we live in a rural area we're we we're quick to assume that if we want to reach out to people we've got to reach the ur somebody who lives in a very urban place yeah and forget about but the people I, that just live on our road <laughs> yeah so. when I lived when I lived in the Mississippi Delta which grows lots of different crops right I mean, there were people, I, I remember hosting tours and have people go, so the green plant is cotton. I never knew which plants were cotton uh -huh. until they were white in yeah. the fall. Like, and then suddenly they're like going, oh, it's a cotton field. But otherwise they were just plants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they knew yeah. what corn looked like. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's just, um, I think that, yeah, there are so many is, opportunities. Like if you can start at home, great. Yeah. And if you live near a big city, awesome. You know, so. So, you know, for a lot of us that are in the business of sales and marketing, we tend to be in more cities. And you know what? I used to live in New York, and I can remember a time when living in New York and saying you worked in agriculture was kind of saying, hi, I'm here from the IRS, and I'm here to talk to you, or, or hi, I'm a leper, you know, or something just crazy. Um, and people looked at you like, oh, my God, that must be like, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So. Um, but now when I go to New York and I say, hi, I work in agriculture, there's a million questions. Yeah. 
Right. So, I mean, people are interested in, oh, what do you mean? You've been on an olive farm. You've been to an avocado farm. You've seen dairy cows. What what do you, what you said you worked cattle. What does that mean? Right. (laughs) You know, and stuff. And so there's a lot of people there. And so I, like, I have a favorite restaurant. I talk to the chef there now and then about different things I'm doing in agriculture, right? Like, I'm also saying, man, this is spot on tonight. Yeah. I mean, you got the risotto balls are killing me tonight. Yeah. But, you know, I also might mention, well, I'm going to go to Arizona and I'm going to see some wheat farms while I'm there. You know, they grow great wheat for pasta. Right. And and he and and he usually would know that, right? Like if he's a good chef. And then he knows that I'm the person who cares about that too, right? So next time I'm in, he asks me another question. That's right. right? It's That's right. It's it's small things. You don't have to sit people down for a two hour seminar today. Um, I would so, love to so talk. You have something similar. I would love to talk about these strategies for like another hour, but I know we don't have much time left. And I want to ask you a few things about yourself. Um, I'll try to... and answer short. Questions. No, no, that's okay. I'm okay. I just know that uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, you you travel quite a bit, um, and you're in St. Louis in the headquarter office probably quite a bit as well. And so your routines are maybe different. But I'm always very interested to know for folks who are you know very busy and and probably also travel a lot. What kind of what kind of morning routines do you employ or maybe you have like a kind of a weekly rhythm you follow or or what do you do that helps to keep you kind of grounded and balanced in what could otherwise become maybe a very chaotic life yeah yeah I can um I can tell you it can become really chaotic and and then it gets away from you and you think whoa wait a minute and unplugging and going away and then coming back it's just going to get to more chaos um (laughs) So I've I've tried to learn the warning signs when I do get into that because sure. balance is, is sometimes an, an issue for all of us and um, and things. But, you know, one of the things that I do for myself routinely is I always have water within reach mm-hmm. and try and do less of the kind of carbonated beverages. I don't drink coffee, all that kind of stuff. So I try and make sure I drink a lot of water. <laughs> and I know that sounds goofy. But as much as I travel, the amount of flights you're on, the amount sure. of hotel air you're breathing, like staying hydrated is really a challenge. Um, I make sure that, I, I mean, I've got a Fitbit and I make sure I know how to use it. <laughs> I have it like go off at, you know, 50 minutes of the hour so that I know if I haven't moved enough in this right. hour, I probably ought to get back on it. Um, look hard at always having breakfast and always having protein with breakfast. It's not always, always done, but I've been very conscious about it. And so, whereas a lot of places that you go um, has a, a kind of, a, you know, really crummy breakfast buffet, I've now worked myself into making sure I have protein in the morning instead of all carbs because mm-hmm. I feel better mm-hmm. and I get more done in a day. So, do you carry um, specific then, products with you or do you just seek out specific things when you're traveling? That's a so specific I, I question, always, but I'm just very curious. <laughs> no, no. Um, and, and thankful to farmers, I, I frequently have, have beautiful nuts from friends and, and things like right now I have some pistachios from, uh, from Arizona, but I carry a lot of pistachios, almonds, oh, cool. um, different kinds of nuts and, and protein bars sometimes because you yeah. can always have a protein bar in your bag for a little while, you know, yeah. and then this morning you show up somewhere and all they have are muffins for breakfast. You can have a protein bar with 
<laughs> yeah. you know, instead. Yeah. So those those little things really help, and, and throwing a couple of them in a bag at once is really easy to do. Um, but it is it is hard. I mean, like I really value sleep part of the time when I'm traveling. Um, I would love to at these conferences be up all night partying and having great fun with everybody else. But I know I have another conference to go to after it. Yeah. And stuff. So I usually politely uh, leave at a certain hour. <laughs> Just bow and, out. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and try and find some quiet time. Um, you know, to, to do some personal writing or to do some social media with friends and family or, or things, you know, we have, have kind of call routines in my family with mom and sort of, you know, sometimes I realize I haven't been to visit family in a while and cause I live out of town. And mm -hmm. so I suddenly like mark a day off, take a day out of the office and, and head on down. So, nice. um, you know, there's all those things where if you don't look out for your own sense of balance, um, nobody else is necessarily going to do it. But for us, when we look out for our sense of balance, everybody else goes, oh, yeah, you know, you really have been working a lot of weekends. You probably should do that, you know. Sure. So, um, so once you can call it yourself, you can, you can really make it happen. Well, and you have to be intentional about it, whatever it looks like for you. You have to be intentional about it because it won't, it won't happen on its own, unfortunately. <laughs> exactly. Um, what are you reading or listening to? Uh, this month or maybe so far this year? What are what are some of the maybe books or podcasts or blogs that you've been reading that you've been telling others about? Yeah, so I'm an avid podcast listener. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of scary how many podcasts I love listening to. Um, the one that I enjoy most about food, because I, I really live in that foodie kind of space a lot, is called Gastropod. And, um, cool. and I cannot remember how long I've been listening to it, but, um, they do a great job of combining science and history oh, cool. with food, right? So you'll find out about, you know, maple syrup and a lot of people in America don't know how maple syrup is done. I've actually had a chance to have friends in Michigan, let me help them put out buckets. Cool. So I've, I've seen a little bit of that. But then you also hear about the history and the impact that climate's having and how that's moving further north and and some of those various things. It is just really interesting. They've also talked about the perfect tomato or the history of fried chicken or all kinds of things. I just love it. Um, I also love kind of storytelling things. So there's a, a podcast I listen to called 99% Invisible that just gives me a real good Let's feeling see. for sort of how to tell a story and sort of see the way the world works by listening to their stories. They do some great interviews. Um, I listen to, you know, a few different, you know, different things on bloggers. So there's a food blogger one, there's, um, there's some farmer ones. So there's ag proud and there's shark farmer and things like that. But, uh, I, I try and listen to a lot of different ones. One of my friends here has one for working women, which is uh, the Work It podcast. <clears throat> and then I don't know, like, aren't you in Ohio? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or okay, so my friend Brenda Haas is over uh, on the other side of the state, I think, from you. She is near. Oh, gosh, where is she? 
no, over near Toledo somewhere, okay. but I can't remember the town. Sure. Bowling Green maybe is over yes. there. Yes. Well, I there? so I <clears throat> I live um, near Worcester, but I grew up near Finley, which is over that way, very near okay. Bowling Green. Is oh she? My God. Is she the so gardener? Exactly. She is. And okay. So her I think website. I've... It's it's creative living and growing with Brenda Haas. Yeah. So, I think I've I think um, I've seen her stuff. Yeah. It's Bren it's BrenHaas.com. and so she does you know, kind of gardening and stuff. And for us as a company, um, you know, a lot of consumers are interested sort of in that interaction with food production and things along that line. So we're, we actually have some programs that we do with oh, home cool. gardeners. And so Bren has been fantastic and she's gone out and seen sort of some of our peppers and things along that line. So there's just a lot of different areas I like to listen to, you know, so storytelling, agriculture, uh, kind of working, I, I listen to a lot of them and things like how stuff works, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy how many podcasts I can listen to. And I listen to things more than I read probably just because the amount of time I spend on airplanes sure. and, um, in cars and you can listen to those while you're moving about. Um, but I, I read, um, I, I read a good number of sort of things on my iPad. So Right now, I've I've personally been investing in um, good journalism, so I'm I'm paying for New York Times and the Washington okay. Post personally. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a another service that I really recommend, um, and they only recently started doing something called Patreon. Um, and Gastropod has a Patreon too, so you can you can be a subscriber. Um, but it's called Food and Farm Discussion Lab. Hmm. And and they've got an incredible group on Facebook. Um, but as much as I travel, I have trouble following some of those groups. Yeah. So as a subscriber, I get regular emails on some of the conversations that oh, are going cool. on. And it's a really good combination of agriculture and food and, and a broad combination of sort of perspectives on the topic of food and farm. So, you know, it's it's not a place where everybody's going to agree exactly with my viewpoint. Sure. But the ground rules for discussion in the group nice. are really, really conducive to productive conversation. Sure. And so then the emails and, and stuff kind of help me stay up to date on what's happening that I may be missing. So I feel like I'm jumping around a little bit here as we wrap things up, but I just, I wanted to ask you a few of these different things about yourself. And so um, many of the folks who listen to the podcast are college students who are maybe studying, um, you know, ag communication or intending in some way to enter a career in agriculture or telling the story of agriculture in some way in their future profession. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self that might be helpful to that group of people listening? This has nothing to do with telling agriculture stories. <laughs> it doesn't so, have to. That's you know, fine. You asked me what I would tell my 20-year-old yes. self. Yes. You know, take some good classes on financial planning, and I'm mm-hmm. not joking. So, I mean, I took classes on macro and microeconomics, and uh, um, I took classes on some various things, but I think really good financial management is something that I wish I got in college um, because then you get your first jobs and you get, and things start getting out of, you know, so investing in a retirement and things like that are so not cool when you're 20. Right, right. And then, I mean, who wants to think then, about that at all when you're 20? But then, like, the people who did that smartly yeah. when they're in their 40s, like, have 
so much more flexibility. So I'd say that would be the first thing I would say to my 20-year-old yeah. self is I, invest in that in that space of financial planning and and figure out how to how to how to learn from it. And I, I was lucky I didn't get in any trouble. I, I mean, I paid off my student loans, all those things on on time. But I think that how to make yourself truly successful long term is is something that it's in your best interest to do. The other thing would be to really take care of your health. I mean, I'm I'm lucky. I've I've been really lucky in that. But I think a lot of us um, kind of don't necessarily take real good care of ourselves, and this is your one body for the lifetime. Um, but professionally, I would say find out how to network with people. If you don't know that innately, figure out how to network. Start making sure that you look for things that are useful to other people and that you share those things. And that when people share something really useful to you, you tell them you appreciate it. And that's that's building your network. And my network has over time provided me every job opportunity that ever came my way. So, you know, I I didn't have to apply for jobs a lot of the time because jobs came looking for me. And part of that was because I, I met people. I made sure that, that it was mutually beneficial for those that I could. For others, it's okay. You know, you don't have to be friends with everybody. You don't have to network professionally with everybody. But find people that you can bring value to and that can bring value to you back. And know now that that's the way the world works. Like you invest in them and they invest in you. Absolutely. And so starting starting that in your 20s instead of waiting till you're ready to start your job hunt when you're, you know, 25. Uh, wow. You know, then yeah. you'll already know so many other people. Well, on that note, uh, if you would like, if you are listening and you would like to network with Janice, remember that you can find her on uh, many different social platforms at JP Loves Cotton. So you can reach out to her there or follow her travels or see adorable videos of her friend's children pronouncing her name or whatever that may be. Um, but Janice, thank you again for joining us and uh, sharing your insight from, from your role um, at Monsanto and all the work that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thanks, Marlene. I appreciate your having me. This is great. The Story of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Herdmark Media. We tell the story of agriculture. Want to meet more amazing people in agriculture? Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Come behind the scenes of our current projects and watch as we work on America's farms and ranches. Just head on over to our Facebook page. You can find us by searching Herdmark Media. That's H-E-R-D-M-A-R-K Media. You can also follow our feeds on Instagram and Twitter at Herdmark Media. To know more about us, visit our website, herdmarkmedia.com. While you're there, be sure to click Join the Herd, and we'll send you free, ready-made social media posts and stock images to help promote agriculture. It's called Free Post Friday, and it's only available to subscribers. Let us help you tell the story of agriculture. Join the Herd today.